Cradleine Network. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 258th episode of Space Spinner 2000. Podcast for two Americans here to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progress at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for June and July 1992, Prog 788 to 791. This time, the Walking Dead have dread under siege. The Cola Commandos are over the moon we'll re- and oh, we'll reach the climaxes. <laughs> That's right. For <laughs> ABC Warriors, Rogue Trooper, and Button Man as, fa- as the Phase 4 prologue begins in Zenith. Oh, man. Super excited for that. There's so much. Yeah. I, I, this ended on uh, on a fun note, this comic book. Definitely. Yeah, listen. Fun. One of those fun downers, you know? Yeah, Make exactly. you think about things. Well, and let's not get ahead of ourselves on Button Man. You son of a bitch. If you don't along with the comics, we're covering today in Judge Dredd, the Complete Case Files 17, ABC Warriors, The Mech Files 2, Button Man Book 1, and Zenith Phase 4. Ooh. All right. But listen, enough of us talking dead, Fox. We got to start walking dead <laughs> and get... And head head over to the judgment zone with Thrill One Judge Dread. Script robot Garth Ennis, art robot Carlos Escara, and Dean Ornstrom, letting robot Tom Frame. All right, back in the judgment zone with Team Fox, Eli, and Conrad. Team Feck. All right. <laughs> And in between sessions in the Judgment Zone, Eli, you were talking about um, how you, or we were all talking about how we like the or how, how we're feeling about these uh, the changes in artists as we go through the um, through the storyline here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, I now have a new appreciation for each of these artists because I have uh, like a a tie to their previous work. So I'm seeing this at what we're about to go into. I'm remembering um, Al's baby. And I have like, oh yeah, yeah, that was that was some good stuff. Uh, and then you get into more appreciation for like uh, the artists they selected for which part. Like, uh, if there's a particular yeah, scene going seeing, on, absolutely. Yeah, we're definitely seeing a lot of uh, of a magazine artists, especially in the course of this special. Uh, Pete Doherty last time did um, the Young Death story, and also did that recent um, one where Dread had to solve the murder mystery in space in 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 the Prague's Fox. Oh yeah, like that. He's He's that artist. And then Dean Ornstrom's been doing just a ton of Dread stuff in the magazine as well. So he, And he's very much the uh, the main guy for the magazine portions of this adventure. And then, yeah, I know, Eli, you've seen a scary Owl's Baby and maybe one or two other things. And, of course, he's an old old friend, the originator of Judge Dread um, over in the Progs, definitely. Fun to see how, how they use these different artists. Because I think I, I still love that he's still bringing his, like, rounded box shapes to the whole thing. You know what I mean? Definitely. <laughs> yeah, and you get that like jagged um outline of dread and stuff. Mm. I think that's such a, a key part of the Ascara look. And I also think or, both um or, or Ormstrun and um and Doherty are really great for drawing crazy zombies. Like that sort of that, that that's a solid work for them. 
<laughs> yeah. So Scarrett, yeah. So Scarrett takes over on art here. Love to see him. It's been a year since he's done any dread work. Been doing a lot of stuff in the magazine between Al's Baby and now Armageddon, the Bad Man in the magazine as well. Uh, the cursed earth is silent as thousands, millions of corpses come to life, crawl from their graves and towards the mega cities. Meanwhile, Judge, Judges Dredd and Perrier are riding hard toward Mega City Ones with the hot dog run of cadets, taking out the occasional zombie when they can, targets of opportunity. Dredd's doing some sweet clothesline moves as he sort of powers through on his lawmaster and stuff, just popping these zombies' heads off. It's excellent. I, I really feel like it's just so gratuitous. He didn't need to, but he does anyway. Right. You might as, you know, wh- while you're here, you might as well kill a zombie. Right. <laughs> Um, they arrive on a cliff outside the city where an untold number of corpses stand between them and home. The H-Wagon still can't fly out of the city. Um, they'll have to go in the hard way, but Dread promises the cadets, none of them will die tonight. Yeah, that's a, that's a fib. Right, that's a tall I mean, order. One of those, one of those, um, Obi-Wan Kenobi's from a certain point of view kind of situation. <laughs> <laughs> Below ground, Sabat talks to the whispering Man. faces on his cloak. Okay, I need to say this. As soon as that cloak started talking, it both got more gross and more awesome at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. There's all these faces and they're clearly like, they clearly like just sort of like like pick at him and like, you know, call him a jerk and stuff, which I guess, I guess it's fair. Like if you turn me into a face on your cloak, I'm going to call you a jerk as well. Right. <laughs> it's hard to blame them. Every opportunity. He sees that that, uh, Johnny Alpha has arrived and wasn't counting on a strontium dog coming after him. But in the end, Alpha will die like the rest. The faces call him smug. He agrees. He's going to (laughs) win. Up at Mega City 1, it's time to go. The judges power up their bikes and start blasting through the masses of zombies. As they approach the walls, the guns of the city open up, cutting a pass for them. A hundred meters out, Cadet Eckerson, who we also saw during Necropolis, gets tackled by a zombie, but Dread shoots her free. The cadets are through, but Dread looks back and sees Perrier swarmed by the undead. And she sort of ruefully thinks, like, ah, Dread didn't promise that she'd survive. Whoa. <laughs> We see her being dragged down and chewed up by the zombies. She punches through the chest of one last one, and then she dies. Dread cries out. He starts blasting the zombies. You scum! But then eventually shoots his way into the city. The chief judge wants to see him, and he says they'll have to napalm half the cursed earth to take out these zombies. When another judge tells him the whole damn planet's covered in them. <laughs> it's a lot of zombo. It's a lot of zombamans, you know? You gotta be careful. In Mega City 1, an unwashed madman preaches to the masses, prophesying the doom of the city when Judge Hershey shows up and gives him a good clubbing, then arrests him. (laughs) Control calls her. Chief Judge Magruder wants all senior judges at the Grand Hall for a meeting. And so she rides off and we learn that this doomsayer has been uh, tied up to a catch post in uh, Ike Plaza, presumably for the lizard-loving conspiracy theorist David Ike. Oh. At the uh, – listen, yeah, tying it all back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
At the meeting, Magruder wants to know what's going on, and neither Judge Schenker from Psy Division or Judge Oppenheimer from Tech Division have any real information. They can rule out the dark judges, but, like, we see um, a zombie in, like, one of these, like, uh, Tech Division interrogation chairs, and they're just not getting anything from it, basically. I don't know what's making these zombies live and move around. It's a bad time. I do like the idea of, I guess, just dissecting a zombie. Right. How do you tick? Yeah. I like the idea of them interrogating them. around. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, zombies, definitely. Zombies, I ain't telling you nothing. Right. And then they, ah, uh, oh, damn it. <laughs> this guy doesn't Who even have a jaw. For? He can't say anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's tough. Bring out the truth serums. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> It'll just go through my veins. They're already gone. Oh, no. He's taunting us. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Dread reports seeing that weird light, that weird light, like blue lightning at the NC station. And there's theories that it could be related, that thus the zombies could be related to the H-Wagon problems. It seems like the zombies don't actually have much awareness around them, like something's controlling them, I guess. Um, and we talked to then Judge Floyd, who's in charge of the wall. There's a million zombies, and the wall has ta- um, still has some damage left over from Necropolis. But he reckons that with judge reinforcements and stuff, they can hold the wall against attack. Though, right now, the zombies aren't actually doing anything. They're just sort of standing there. Underground, Sabat has found some kind of big crystal stalagmite kind of thing. Yeah. And starts monologuing about ultimate power until his cloaks call him a, a loud mouth. But it's too late! <laughs> Lightning bursts from the crystal as Sabat orders the zombies to smash the walls of the mega cities to kill the world. It's a pretty... Uh, it is a... It's a good command, but a vague one, you know? Yeah. A lot of, like, plants and stuff. Also Go a real ripoff too. from... Uh, from uh, Death Aid, like last oh, year yeah. or whatever, the Necropolis, where we had to kill the world to the tune of feed the world, you know. Kill the world. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> gotta get at least one song in here. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'll get a we, got, we got a couple, my man. Yeah. All right. So, um... <laughs> On the wall, Dredd looks out over the zombies, nervous about what to come, what's to come, when he realizes that they've made a key error. Because sure, it looks like there's a million zombies out there, but that's not counting the six million bodies in the necropolis mass <laughs> graves scattered along the outside of Mega City One, which are all now bursting open and spewing forth masses of zombies. It's tough overturning those giant cross tombstones and stuff like that. Yeah, oh, no. Man. Well, wouldn't I mean you're, you're kind of risking your zombies at that point? They get smashed. Right. I feel like I feel like you know Sabat's got that. Um, he's got the he's doing the attrition warfare. You know, it doesn't really matter if any one yeah, cluster of numbers. zombies gets killed. Like there's 60 million coming towards Mega City One. That's a lot. You know. Right. They also surely <laughs> bury their dead deeper. I mean, is it supposed to be six feet so that the zombies can't get out or? Oh, that's something else. Well, I mean, I mean, I'm sure the guys at the bottom of the mass grave are even deeper than six feet, but you know, right, they have to true. do it fast. There's a lot of bodies. Right, yeah, Recite right. couldn't handle it, you know. Right. So, I hope someone I brought know. that up, and then they're like, "What's the worst that can happen? Why are you freaking out about it?" <laughs> <laughs> and Absolutely, then- <laughs> certainly, certainly, a big point to be made when they clean up after Judgment Day. Right. I, I do <laughs> like. I do like the idea of us burying bodies six feet down because. <laughs> That's <laughs> our protection against zombies. I right. really hope I think, that that's the truth. 
I think, I believe I am adding a little bit more mythos to it. I believe it's actually six feet down so that, like, uh, like people can't get to the bodies or, like, animals yeah, don't dig up these these bodies or something. I forgot. Yeah. More for their protection, I think. you're right. Yeah, it's, it's to it's to keep – it's so that nobody can just sort of idly get to get to one of the corpses. You got to like, you know, spend some serious time digging and stuff. Or right. like if there's an earthquake or a flood that the mm. – like a coffin isn't just sort of pop out of the ground or something because that's disturbing. No one likes uh, that. Uh, oh, there was also another weird graveyard thing that I heard about, which was uh, they used to mm. bury uh, n- uh, royalty or nobles with bells so that if they turned out they oh. weren't dead, they'd ring this bell. And then the gravekeeper would just keep an eye out for a bell. And then if there was a bell ringing somewhere, Whoa. would go dig that person up. Oh, you weren't dead. Our bad. And then they would. That's what creepy. The hell? <laughs> <laughs> it is weird. I don't know what they were, the autopsy was about, but apparently they just that well, was I, a I problem. I'm worried about. Yeah. Yeah, you got to I mean, imagine there the, was at least one person, and that became the thing after that. <laughs> <laughs> I I think it is a big worry in like Victorian times or something that you'd be buried alive. Very good, like early ghost story kind of fodder. Nowadays, I mean, that's I, I feel like that 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 that's part of why they embalm you. It's right. just like you <laughs> know, sure. this guy definitely isn't like if he was <laughs> if he was alive before, he's not now because we sort of <laughs> you know swapped out his blood for weird juice. So whatever. <laughs> <you know? laughs> I played graveyard keeper. I know how this works. Right. Yeah, come on. You know, you got to take out those soft, uh, soft organs or whatever. You know, <laughs> right? Uh, don't take off the skin because people don't like that. Um, anyway, right. <laughs> graveyard keeper jokes. We're back in the mm-hmm. magazine. Dean Ormstrom's on, Dean Orm Ormston's on art as sixty million zombies approach the mega city walls and the judges open fire. Uh, Dread calls for everybody to just keep shooting. We got to stop them at the wall or the city's lost. And the front is a thousand miles long. What hope do they have against the tides of the undead? The scene's the same across Dread World. We see Texas City, Mega City 2, Ciudad Barranquilla, the Sydney, Melbourne, Conurb, where Judge Bruce is fighting zombies, uh, Sino, Sit- Sino City 1, East Meg 2, where Judge Briel Cream from the uh, Clockwork Pineapple story shows oh, yeah. up. <laughs> uh, Brit sit with the star chinned Judge Armor, Murphyville, where Judge Joyce calls in an airstrike, and Hondo City, where Johnny Alpha's getting pretty tired of dealing with this Sadu guy. So instead, he uses a, time, a, a minimum setting time bomb just sort of warped elsewhere in the city, like three seconds away. Yeah, that's a pretty common Johnny Alpha thing. They have the, he has these time, this time Man, weaponry. It's so rad. Yeah, a, a standard one is a time grenade, which sort of warps you and the and, your, and the surrounding area a few hours into the past, or, oh, or okay. either the past or the future. Okay, but basically, it warps you, it moves you through time, but not through space. Mm. So when you blink back to it ex- to to into existence, the Earth is like moved. Right. Right. From where it was before, so suddenly you just get warped like into deep space where you asphyxiate, basically. That's so fun that they kept the time-space continuum in consideration. Usually whenever people do time travel, it's always just the time. They don't like actually calculate how difficult it is to actually – uh, move through the fabric. Absolutely. So, I, yeah, I really appreciate that's what, that. In, in Strontium Dog, there are sort of like time centers or something. That's like what Sabat used, which also sort of can move you through space, it seems like. So that allows for 
actual time travel, mm-hmm. but generally in Strontium Dog, time travel is just a weird way to kill somebody. Right. Yeah. <laughs> flare points. Uh, he, yeah, you, he once trapped his. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say, just you killing people with flare. That's really what it's about. Yeah, absolutely. He, his father was uh, was a new aged Hitler, and part of his punishment anti mutant Hitler. Yeah, yeah. anti mutant Hitler. Excuse me. Um, and uh, the way that he imprisoned his father was he trapped him in a time loop that he was constantly in agony for every for three seconds, and then warped back to the beginning of that agony. Yeah, like on like like a gif, like on constant repeat, basically. <laughs> And they've also got deals that can, like, de-time people to, like, bring a dead person back to life, though doesn't, like, even if they've been brought back to life by this uh, device, they still often get killed anyway because death claims its own, you know? <laughs> but if you use a time grenade with, like, where you warp, like, three seconds, it'll just sort of warp you through space, you know, warp you to another part of the planet instead of, um, you know, into space and kill you, basically. Um, there's no time to, uh, to figure out what's going on, though, as Hondo is mobilizing its heavy armor as a wave of samurai-clad zombies attack the city. Meanwhile, Johnny materializes three seconds in Earth's past, where he promptly clothes lines a Hondo city judge and steals their bike, rides off with it. Reports are coming in. Um, the Hondo tanks are overwhelmed, and Inspector Sadu is presumed dead. Johnny has sharper eyes, though, spots Sadu. And shoots him free of the zombies attacking him. That buys him a bit of Sadu's trust for the moment at least. But for now, there's a horde of zombies coming their way they gotta deal with. Back in the progs, as the judges open fire against a massive horde of zombies. I think this part's really cool. I really like to see all these uniformed judges fighting together and stuff. It's something we haven't really seen since the Apocalypse War, I guess. And mm-hmm. I really love Ascara's art for this. Yeah, it's pretty great. Um, the action's hottest at the Sector 52 breach in the wall, a massive gap from Necropolis. Heavy guns are being set up as um, Dread arrives wielding a sweet Colt M2000 Widowmaker submachine gun shotgun. God, that <laughs> so many things in one gun. So, absolutely. <laughs> He's blowing away zombies and judges are holding the line as the sun rises. Below ground, Sabat is assembling the bones of a giant skeleton of some kind and using his dark magic to cover it in flesh. <laughs> Back in Mega City 1, Chief Magruder's getting reports from all around the world. Most places are holding against the zombies, but they've lost contact with both Mega City 2 out on the West Coast. Oh, no. And uh, Sino Sit, which is uh, China. While Ciudad Barranquilla, Banana City seems to be in trouble. They're like, curse you, Mega City One! (laughs) Magruder's had enough and just decides to head down to the wall to deal with it herself. Noon comes and Dread still blasting away, um, taking out at least one zombie manually, you know, by just punching it it in his face (laughs) and it explodes once he runs out of ammo. All the judges are running dry and some of the barrels on these new guns are starting to overheat as well. Uh, Dread runs to grab ammo when the quick when the quickly repaired wall starts to give way and he's crushed beneath the rubble and the zombies are into the city. Uh, the judges are down to lawgivers as Dread crawls out of the rubble, few ribs broken. Ugh. He calls in some uh, what? Oh no, just gross. <laughs> Battle damage, buddy. He uh, calls in some Manta hover tanks with riot foam and has the other ju- um, all the other judges pull out. 
The mantis swoop in, drop in riot foam to seal the breach in the wall, which seems like it would have been a good opening yeah. move or whatever. <laughs> um, we'll just stand here, I guess, as opposed to imposing more barriers. But then they drop napalm on the zombies that got through the wall. And I really like sort of when you see Dread ordering all this, his helmet's kind of crumpled from getting hit by the by the rubble and stuff. Right. And, I, you know. I also like that a lot of other judges lost their helmets in all this, but Judge, I guess Dredd just never is really going to lose his helmet. <laughs> no, no, it's it's vacuum sealed on there. You know, right. like when you when he takes it off for the day, it makes like one of those like <laughs> like 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 that kind of sound yeah. when he pulls it off. Does, you know, does, is there record of Judge of Dredd taking off his helmet? Oh, sure. Okay, all right. Uh, it's like in shadows usually, or at the very least, yeah. everyone okay. who sees his face says it's right. disgusting. I mean, there are, and I feel like this is something that happens over time, where it becomes like some sort of weird thing where Dread refuses to take his helmet off at any time, mm. basically. Right. But I feel like even in these days, like he kind of comes home and he'll take his helmet off or something. But, you know, while he's working, yeah. he keeps the helmet on because you got to protect your noggin, like a, you know? Like the Mandalorian, but not not as like dramatic, I guess. I would say Dread's less, even less attached to it than the than the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Like, as, as, especially at this point, I think if you held a gun to him and told him to take off his helmet, he wouldn't really mind I doing see. it, I guess. Mm-hmm. He'd probably break your arm for putting a point of gun. Right, all type of violations. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. My- yeah, like, 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 like that would get you beaten up. <laughs> right. Absolutely. My, my question is, do you think he sees a shadow and is like, oh, this is a good place for me to take off my helmet? Like, it's way too convenient <laughs> that there's always a shadow there. I mean, I would say that the that the world of dread um, bends around I him see. to keep his face obscured okay. as much as possible. He's in the middle of a desert. He also, and then the yeah. he takes helmet off. Shade just shows up. Exactly, it's and quite I think also like plot armor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally, pl- yeah, literal armor from the plot. <laughs> I think also he likes to keep it on because we learned um, pretty early in Dread's adventure that his face is actually horribly scarred, mm-hmm. like scarred enough that like like this was in like Prague six or something but his face was so scarred that he took his helmet off and he managed to beat a bunch of goons because they were so grossed out by his face basically <laughs> stuff um anyway right <laughs> but yeah whatever he'll take it off when the situation calls for is what i'm trying to say um the the judges retake the foam wall as Dredd gets a situation report. Most of the sectors are at least starting to fall or under very heavy pressure. The main gate's almost almost um, um, lost to the zombies. Dredd contacts that sector and gets our friend Judge Decker, who was a, was a rookie that Dredd took out on her first assignment. And who's actually been coming back once or twice in some, in some of his adventures since Garthanis has taken over. Um They've done all they can to seal the gate, but there's just too many of these damn zombies and backups too far away to help. Decker's overrun and out of ammo. All the other judges are getting killed around her. With no other choice, she pops a a frag grenade and says, see on the streets, Joe, to Dread, and then her connection goes dark. She sacrificed himself and Dread reflects she was his best cadet and now she's gone. A med tech tries to treat Joe's wounds, but he shrugs them off. Dread orders every inch of the wall rigged with just anything flammable, napalm, gasoline, explosives, and with some giant neck veins, he shouts, burn the wall. It's cool. I don't know. Right. No, it's I, serious I mean, neck I, veins. Neck, yeah, no, I was about to say, <laughs> the, the saying maybe, but neck veins always like, it's like a gross look. 
<laughs> yeah, no, that's why you know he's intense, you know, absolutely. He's got to get real vast, you see these uh, blood vessels and so forth. <laughs> How else are they going to know they need to burn the wall? Or they don't see the absolutely. next Absolutely true. Yeah, come on, he's serious. So we're back in the magazine now with Dean Ormstrand. Um, he's drawn Dredd with kind of a cracked shoulder pad here, uh, some scars on his face, and then uh, a big bandolier of shells and I guess this uh, shotgun thing over his shoulder. The, you know, one thing I, I will say is that these guns change size depending on who the artist is. It's, you know, <laughs> just it, you, you got to roll with it is the basic point. <laughs> The judges are preparing to burn the wall as judges, as in Hondo, uh, judges and bounty hunter gun down zombies. As we learn that even more city of even more cities that have lost contact and are seemingly overrun. Johnny fires several number four cartridges as Hondo City unleashes its screamer sonic cannon, which obliterate zombie and stray judge alike <laughs> at a massive cost of power. It's just this giant red, like, flashlight beam that just <laughs> obliterates anything it touches. It's pretty cool. <laughs> but we also see, like, Hondo City, just like this giant uh, mega city, just go dark because so much power is being sucked up by the uh, by the device. The screamer can run for two days at a maximum. And so they're safe for now, but obviously there's a very real time limit on how long that'll be. Able to catch a breath, Johnny Alpha's finally um, able to explain this whole situation. And Inspector Sadu scoffs at the idea of a mutant bounty hunter from 60 years in the future. But (laughs) his lie detector says it's true, so I don't know. I guess we got to give him some credit, I guess. Johnny explains just what Sabat is capable of, how he arrived on the paradise world of Bathsheba, home to palm trees and some sweet, tall Easter Island heads. And then the whole world was consumed by Sabat's zombies. Two million settlers became two million walking corpses. And when the Galactic Crime Commission realized that uh, Sabat was loading these zombies onto ships to take over the galaxy, they destroyed the planet with a bunch of core nukes. Just sort of destroying it from the core out. But Sabat managed to escape, travel to the past, and now Alpha's here to take him out. He, Johnny Alpha finishes his story as a messenger comes. There's to be an international meeting of judges to deal with the problem. Johnny must attend because he's got information and it'll be in Hondo, so it's convenient. But is more than a little worried about a reunion with Judge Dredd. Oh boy. I like, I like their history here, at the very least. Yeah, we get flashes of it. Um, they they met in the 1991 annual in a story called Top Dogs, which is a lot of fun. Um, and basically featured Johnny and and Wolf going back in in disguises to uh, <laughs> find a time fugitive and bring him back. And it led to Johnny and Wolf just having a huge melee in a mall in Mega City One. It was really awesome. <laughs> but then um, Johnny and Wolf. Johnny Wolf and their target being able to uh, to time jump and escape Dreads uh, and escape capture from Dread just in time. So, you know, they've got unfinished business, basically. <laughs> Next time in the Judgment Zone, Pyromania Special and the Reunion. That's where we'll finish up for this part of Judgment Day. Oh, man. Thrill to Cola Commandos. Yay. Script robot, yeah. Script robot Steve Parkhouse, art robot Anthony Williams, letting robot Annie Parkhouse. All right, Fox. Okay. 
Soda. Last time we saw Hector Doldrum run off in the futuristic battleground called the Forbidden Zone. Now he's falling asleep in a grassy thicket where he dreams of a beautiful blonde woman on a horse. She's always wanted a real man. And yeah. then Hector wakes up in bed only to find that woman next to him is still that blonde. Okay. She snuggles him, and then he wakes up again and finds that blonde here, too. And by this time, he realizes he – or he recognizes her as the lady from the Elven Queen shampoo commercial we saw in a previous episode. Yeah, and I guess she's done other commercials, too? Mm, yeah, I don't know. Uh, he wants to know where he is, and we learn that he's in the Forbidden Zone still and seemingly in a land of commercial mascots as he yeah. – Passes Bruno, the bigger burger bouncing bear, and a smurf like town of Tweety Wheat Pixies and stuff. It's real this weird. Makes, yeah, real. Like, just seems like, yeah. Uh, honestly, I, I remember this was a story in the Cursed Earth in Judge Dredd where they, all the mascots came to life as well. Oh, yeah. Um, but this makes him remember his family and his need to get home as the elven queen introduces herself as Zephyr Zodiac, the fantasy female. But before she can explain more, that silver dude we've been seeing shows up, pulls a gun, and tells Hector he's gonna hunt him down like a dog. Yeah, I guess it killed the bear, too? Oh, yeah. He starts killing these mascots just sort of at random, pretty much. I don't think you actually hunt a lot of dogs, Fox. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I feel no. like you shoot, a, you shoot someone in the street like a dog, but I don't think you hunt someone like a dog. And who shoots dogs in the street? You got to be a I real, they got, like, If, if they got band. rabies or something or something. I guess, but, yeah. yeah. It's not a good person that does it. You no. know, I'm just saying. Or it's, you know, a child at the end of a film. Oh, yeah. But that's not, that's like, not that's actually behind the shed or something. I don't know. Yeah. Old Yeller style. Anyway, far beyond a cyberpunk city lies the Forbidden Zone, which actually seems kind of nice and foresty and full of commercial mascots, but now they're being hunted. Hector and Zephyr run away and are met by Robin Hood, the Aero Airline Green Archer, who offers to help them out. Hector's naming all these mascots, but I'm not going to play along with his game. Nope. <laughs> that silver dude's riding around on a sweet motorcycle, and Robin shoots an arrow through his neck, but that doesn't stop him. And so the yeah, silver dude shoots over his shoulder and blows off the top of Robin's head. Oh, no. Yeah, he's a robot. Robin is a robot. Yeah, these guys are all robots, I guess. Silver guy pulls the arrow and um, from his neck and stalks towards Hector, blasting mascots as he goes, when suddenly a guy with a machine gun pops out of a hatch in the ground, and Brad attaches a burst into the silver dude's chest and grabs Hector and pulls him down the hatch. Lost it's... reference. I don't know. I've only seen the first season. Yep. And uh, <laughs> I guess this is the pivotal Cola Commandos. Yeah, yeah. The eponymous Cola Commandos. Through the hatch, Doldrum finds himself in a weird underground world full of commando types, possibly with a K. We see – they say Zephyr will be fine as Doldrum sees that Kid Karma fella uh, standing with the others from last episode. Karma says Doldrum is the android's target and reveals a trio of forehead scars. Yeah, from them tubes, I guess. Yeah, from those, those brain tubes at the start of the story. Uh, Karma says that he and all the others have had, uh, yeah, the, those OK Cola brain tubes, and they were tossed in the Forbidden Zone like so much human garbage. It did, so it didn't kill him, I guess. 
No. Uh, but didn't seemed... didn't some of them have like half their head cut off and their brain was just straight up exposed? Well, the monkeys had exposed brains for yeah. sure. Listen, I I did not look. I, I wondered that as well, but decided but not yeah, to go no, back you and know look. What? Fox. You're right. You're exactly correct. What am I doing? <laughs> like there's there's certain parts of the like there's certain thrills where I'm I'm willing to to go back and check things, but I'm not going to give Cole Commandos the respect. <laughs> Jesus. Back. <laughs> no doubt. Um, Tough love, Conrad. Seriously, listen, come on. I'm putting things on notice this year, Fox. That's 1992, all right? I'm 11. Strong. I'm putting things on notice. Strong fucking agree. <laughs> yeah. So Doldstrom says he's been thinking about, like, those brain tubes since he saw him at OK Cola HQ. OK must have been working with endorphins, probably to spike the cola with adrenochrome. And Doldrum <laughs> realized <laughs> oh that his God. work has been has been to make OK Cola palatable as it dopes the masses. Karma then explains the whole conspiracy, using, again, that brain juice as an opiate to sedate everyone, then conquer the world with a can of cola in one hand and a Ugh. gun in the other. Mm. All right. Turning the frogs cola. Um, <laughs> Karma also explains about that silver dude, C.T. Hall, he's called, Fox. Okay. So you can't fight him. That's the pun we're working with. Um, he's a former astronaut. Now made exclusively of moon metal. Yeah, um, okay. Um, after some event that no, everyone seems to know, but no one wants to talk about. I mean, Back, I guess the moon ate him, turned him into yeah, a moon boy. Exactly. Yeah, it's like I mean, he's uh, a silver surfer, like the Martian, you know? but the moonman. Yeah, he became surfified. Absolutely, chromed up. Got those elite skins, Fox. Yeah. Back on the surface, E.T. Hall is reveling in the moonlight and preparing to punch his way into the cola base. It's up to Hector, I guess. Will he join the commandos? Then on what seems to be the surface of the moon, some sort of chairman guy plays golf on red ground as a toady congratulates him on just various things that they've done. Yeah, I guess. C.T. Hall seems stunned for a moment as Karma tells another, or maybe just like looks around for Hector as another command, as Karma tells another commander to shoot Hall with an incendiary round. The chairman hits a 4,000 yard uh, drive as Hall burns, but then gets pulled into the commando tunnel. He takes some punches, but soon he centers, so Hall centers himself and tosses one of the commandos away and puts a gun to Karma's head, demanding that Doldrum reveal himself. Doldrum does so, and Hall is about to blow his face off when he looks up and sees an OK Cola ad written on the surface of the moon. Those bastards. They finally did it. You maniacs. You wrote it up. How Hall calls them blasphemers, mm. and it's clear that because of this defacement of the moon, and he's been talking a lot about moon stuff this whole comic, just so we're clear. Yeah, he's got a thing for uh, moon. He's made of the moon, he's into the moon, and he doesn't like that it's now being used as a billboard, so he's clearly ready to leave his employers behind and join the commandos in destroying OK Cola. And I, oh, I should say that, that the commandos, I, I, I don't think I mentioned this, uh, the commandos want Hector to join them because he knows like the layout and stuff of okay. OK Cola HQ. Oh yeah, that's right, yeah. 
So they need him to join up so they can, like, I don't know, uh. go to the, whatever, to the generator in the middle of OK Cola or, you know, whatever, that that that, that sort of stuff. Yeah, no, they need him for the secret elevator or something. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. They got to take it to the mezzanine floor, Fox. There's super bonbons involved. <laughs> Next time on oh, Cola Commandos, Moon Madness. Okay. This, is, this comic is lunacy. Ooh, because of the moon. I see what you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> And speaking of hot moon action, Fox. Oh, I mean, it's moon on moon on moon action. That's right. Tri-moon. It's like Total Recall, but for moons. (laughs) Thrill 3, ABC Warriors. (laughs) Script robot Pat Mills and Tony Skinner. Art robot Kev Walker. Letting robot Steve Potter. Oh, man. We can see how tired Fox is because he didn't sing along to ABC Warriors. (laughs) (laughs) No. Oh, no. Oh, no. Sorry, everyone. I got my COVID jab and I'm all sleepy. Yeah, we're powering through. The ABC moons of- Warriors. ABC Warriors. We got there. The moons of Hakate are nearing alignment, but the reborn Emperor Zalin and his army of Imperial Rottweilers mean to kill all the weirdos on this planet, including the ABC Warriors, before they do. Or once they do. It's part of their plan. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Deadlock falls back to the Temple of the Nightmares as Joe Pineapple in an amazing crystal lined cloak opens fire Man, with a ridiculously gigantic gun. It's uh it's um it's a Mandelbrot set. Like all the little things are the Mandelbrot set, the little thing that was in his brain also. Ooh, that's right. Ooh, that's a good yeah. call for sure. I just thought it was just kind of a like evil queen it. kind of thing. Very oh, cool. Yes, Queen Slay. Exactly. Yeah, literally. Literally in all it, it, for all those words. <laughs> The Mistress Maras are starting to wake, catching the warriors between the frying pan and the fire, as you do. But Deadlock is able to get them to survive by having the warriors prostrate themselves to the Maras, except for Morrigan, who they seem to accept as female, after some friendly uh, long tongue licking. Yeah, that, I think, oh, I forgot they did that. Yeah, they just... Yeah. They gotta check you out, you know? Yep. Deadlock points the ladies towards the Rottweiler, and then Deadlock goes into a monologue about how the Maras are beautiful, voracious, vibrantly strong, incredibly ancient, and virtually indestructible. They take out the Space Marines and advance on the Emperor when Deadlock intervenes and places a force field between them. Well, it's like one like finger flicks off one of their heads, like the the Marines, and yeah. then just like bites into their neck tube, pulling out their spine it's really not like they're very very violent yeah listen if only real demonettes of slanesh were so overpowered that's what i say oh anyway for 40k stuff getting real nerdy even more so than my usual amount (laughs) deadlock says the emperor's death must wait for the conjunction of the moons yeah dope yeah, but then the Emperor gets full Palpatine, just pulling all the, the, this Imperial energy. Oh, I'm afraid I've initiated Operation Jove to blow up, to blow the moons out of the sky. Oh, uh, yeah, and I only sent three missiles to do it, because why would I need anything <laughs> extra, you know? I'm afraid you're fucked, T-Man. <laughs> <laughs> you're fucked, T-Man! Deadlock tries to talk the Emperor out of the missiles. Um, After all, the chaos of the planet brought him back to life, but the Emperor won't be swayed and will bring order. 
until as the missiles are fired, that giant idol on the that the uh, like the roof of the temple of the Maris is made of comes to life and belts the giant fireball that destroys the missiles of Operation Jove. Oops! Jeez. There goes yeah. your plan, dummy. That's why you always have extra Jove missiles. <clears throat> That's right. Zalin says he's been defeated for now, but orders ultimate victory is inevitable. And then he and Deadlock sort of spar a bit about the nature of entropy and the inevitability thereof, basically. Hammerstein says Zalin does kind of have a point. I mean, you got to have like rules and laws and stuff, you know, like to protect people or whatever. And Deadlock gets very college freshman about how actually total chaos would be great for everybody and also shut up. Yeah, I mean, that was the ultimate point, right? Right, exactly, yeah, it's sort of, it's hard for him to actually defend his points, or maybe this was a ruse, actually, because that makes, that causes Zalin to make his play, ordering Hammerstein, the ultimate order bot, to kill Deadlock. Uh-huh. The warlock takes, Hammerstein takes the warlock's blade, uh, but an act of true chaos strikes the emperor down instead. Yeah, it's because Hammer- he yelled now at him. Kill him yeah, now. Big jerk. Um, Hammerstein doesn't need orders anymore. He's finally embraced chaos. Uh, dip. The other warriors are, um, show up and lift them onto their shoulders as a rousing chorus for he's a jolly good fellow as the moon's near alignment and Deadlock offers up the heads of a taxman, a chaplain, a tycoon, a scientist, a politician, a colonel, and the emperor of order himself. Seven nice. heads for Hikate! Dope. Yeah, that I'd giant mare- if I were Hikate. Seriously, yeah, seems pretty excited. That giant Mara rears up and the moon aligns, and the moon's aligned in a series of perfect circles and lightning strikes all around as the sky goes red. Oh, uh, yeah, now time for some blood rain, bro. Yeah. Big thing I learned recently, Fox, is that there's a people like are starting to just start calling lunar eclipses blood moons, and I don't like that, all right? We oh, got the word weird. eclipse. That's a fine term. There's no reason to change your language that you sound more like you're in, like, the village or something like that. Yeah, no. There's a blood moon coming. Get out of here. It's like, it's an eclipse. It's a solar eclipse. Yeah. Or uh, lunar, because during, or I guess blood moons are for lunar eclipses because when, when there's a lunar, when there's a total lunar eclipse, the moon does turn red. It's kind of a, you know, it's a whole thing. Yeah. But, like, just call it a lunar eclipse. You dummy. That's fine. Yeah. Anyway, I got in a fight about it on the internet about it. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> Deadlock receives a letter from his academic adversary, Steer Crook. They've been sort of sniping back and forth in the narration boxes of uh, this whole story, and I have not been covering it very well because it's just a lot. Um, as we see the Eclipse Party go into full swing on Hakate, it rains blood as Deadlock cries out for nourishment, and the locals shout about the monsoon. Ooh, yeah, blood they're all monsoon. floating around. Yeah. This leads to a month-long party as all the people of the planet, humans, aliens, and robots, all just get drunk and debauch generally. Yeah, party time. Yeah. We then cut to the morning after as Black Blood... And Hammerstein wake up groggily. Hammerstein has acquired a traffic cone, you'll see, which I believe might be a Red Dwarf reference. Like, it's not a good party night if you don't wake up with a traffic cone. Where'd we get this policewoman's helmet and suspenders three million years into deep space? Whoa. Anyway, 
it seems Morgan and Mongrel have run off to join the Ma- the, uh, the Maras. Mechquake's cool. watching horror movies. Yeah, listen, I think that's fun. And Deadlock comes swanning in with their new mission as Joe Pineapple throw dar- throws darts very coolly. Yeah. <laughs> um, they got to spread chaos throughout the Terran Empire. Deadlock starts to lay down some orders, but Hammerstein just tells him to swivel, and Pineapples tells him to drink some sump oil. They've had enough of all these orders and missions. Yeah, man, we're just going to chill and be weird. Yeah, and thus have passed the final test of chaos, because in the end, that's what chaos is. It's sitting around and being weird. Okay, I guess they (laughs) passed the test. Yeah, Deadlock leaves the planet to them. And snags Rojaws to come help him out for his more chaotic adventures. And I like uh, Rojaws' like vacation set that he's wearing here. Yeah. Very nice. Suck my sludge pump. Got some. Got, got a rude T-shirt. Got some Dame Edna sunglasses. It's exciting times. Vomits on an alien. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what. Yeah, they go. Rojaws and one of those puke aliens exchange huge vomits. Um, and they then go and uh, load Onto a ship as Steer Crook finishes his letter, telling, um, asking Deadlock for the antidote, antidote to the poison he ingested by l- looking through Deadlock's library. But it's no use as Deadlock is off to space as a space wizard. And the, the we reach the end of the Chronicles of Chaos. Oh, there we go. We made it. Yeah, definitely. And the ABC Warriors will return with the story Hellbringer in fall of 1994. So two okay. years from now or so. Cool. Yeah, I thought this was a, was a fun one. Again, like, I feel like we've complained a lot about the deadlock focus of these ABC Warriors stories. Stories, um, You know, it's not that I'm not into the concept of chaos. I'm fine with it. That's concept with a C, with, with a yeah. K. Thank you very much. But like, you know, I, I do kind of just like wacky robo military adventures and stuff like that as well, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm just hoping that they still kind of keep their personalities at least. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, two years between stories, as I recall from... Um, when this one picks up is enough time for everybody to get real weird in the course of uh, <laughs> their life on on Hikate or whatever. So we'll, we'll pick up then. Just keep an eye out for it as we go. All right. Hey. <laughs> Exciting times. Deadlock's off to new adventures, but we should keep more grounded by checking out Nod Thrills, Covers, and Nerve Setters. Oh, yeah, yeah. Love, All right. love this part of the show. Yeah, always exciting. Prog 788, Death Race 2114. Brian Williamson draws a pair of judges speeding their way to make it to speeding their way to Judgment Day, I should say. Yeah. In the Nerve Center, Tharks plug in the post Mega Blast world. Sorry, the post Mega Blast world. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> Teasing the return of Zenith and Robo Hunter in coming stories, with Revere still cooking on the back burner, as well Ooh, as plugging this Revere. action special. Yeah, coming later this year, I believe. Yeah. Mid Prog, like there's Revere. a worrying set of ads, Fox. Oh yeah. Um, one with a phone number to place ads in the comic, and the other one for your classic build muscles fast kind of thing. Mm-hmm. In the input it's, page, uh, muscle dynamics. Yeah, listen, we got a, we got a, we got, I got these, uh, rubber bands gonna get swole. In the, in the input page is a color picture of Judge Sonic. 
Fastest Judge Alive. Letters yeah. complain about a recent downturn and then upswing in thrills. And there's a tease for the return of biochips in Rogue Trooper. Okay. While, yeah, while another compliments the blast and a third seems to have taken Bert, the robot editor, hostage while a soldier in Her Majesty's forces has recently gotten back into thrill power and is appreciative for that one oh, cool. um, camouflage one. 789 button down very iconic cover here uh with harry exton in the yeah. middle of like a, a shooting target over his chest by arthur ranson i like this one a lot yeah tharg reflects on that old uh, a thousand monkeys and a thousand typewriters writing the work of shakespeare thing and then announces that soon letters to the nerve center will be given a new will be given a mug instead of a cap and this mug will have joe pineapples on it he also teases a bunch of upcoming graphic novels. The input page has a color picture of a Judge Dredd public relations officer talking to some buff <laughs> dude with gelled hair. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and then Judge Ermin Shrewd, based on a character from the children's show The Magic Roundabout. The Magic Roundabout. Yeah. This is one of these terrifying British children's shows, I think. Um, <laughs> letters ask what? for more ID cards because... The cover said that they were giving away 2,000 ID cards, and they only gave out like six. So, you know, oh, I damn. need 994 more, please. Yeah. Um, as well as a cap, they plug direct order for um, – a letter gives Targ a chance to plug the direct order of judgment on Gotham. And apparently a recent prog had problems with the barcode. The prog ends with an ad for volume two, issue one of the UK Aliens comic, Ooh. which serializes the Dark Horse Alien and Predator comics cool. from the States. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've never read those, but I think they're I, – I, I've, I've heard mixed things, but generally good. Listen, I'm down for various alien adventures. Yeah. <laughs> Prog 70, Moon Man. Even the Cola Commandos can't fight C.T. Hall, Fox. Okay. And since we learned both the name of this character and his deal in this issue, this cover feels pretty spoilery, drawn by Anthony Williams. <laughs> in the Nerve Center, Tharg admits the hardest part of his job is writing the weekly Tharg notes. He also teases the future return of the ABC Warriors, Zenith, and that Prog 800 is going to be lit. Oh, uh, Dope. He doesn't say that for the record, but oh. we're going to have that. Th that'll be another one of these story uh, ones where a bunch of new stories start and stuff like that. You know, awesome. Always fun with these round numbers. The letters page has a picture of Judge Hess, maybe Charlton Heston. I don't, I don't know this one. Uh, letters write about moms destroying comic book collections. No. Listen, and on the one hand, it sucks for an individual when their mom destroys their comic book collection. But the only way these comics are going to get more valuable generally is if moms do that, Fox. So it's a mixed <laughs> take blessing. Up, take up arms against your children. Comics have to be destroyed so they can become valuable. If everybody's got a copy, then it won't appreciate, you know? Oh, my God. It's true. <laughs> There's a crack in someone's dread mug, confusion over revere and killing time. All right, guys. Read closely. The info's there. A writer gets a, a, a and a writer who apparently gets a weird look on his face while reading comics, as well as a very brief poem about Tharg, because sadly nothing rhymes with Tharg, apparently. Huh. Blarg? I don't know. Marg Simpson? <laughs> <laughs> 
791. Uh, Bubble trouble. Ron Smith draws Friday doing his best Polly Shore impression because he's causing trouble up in that bubble, Fox. Oh, my God. I was going to say <laughs> really. he got into the Boeing. Not really, though, because Biodome is still four years away. In 1992, Polly Shore is at Encino Man, a town which is just down the road from me. But anyway. Oh, God, that's right. He played a caveman. No, no, no. Brendan Fraser was the caveman. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, Brendan Fraser's always been the caveman. Yeah. And then Polly Shore and Sam from Lord of the Rings helped him learn his way in modern times. You know, it's a whole thing. Right. In the Nerve Center, Tharg's looking forward, teasing stories coming in Prague 800, Flesh, Luke Kirby, and we'll be continuing new stories for Zenith and Robo Hunter there as well, Zenith. as well as post-Judgment Day, a post-Judgment Day dread Zenith. <laughs> Nearer to today, though, Tharg is stoked for this Zenith action. The input page has a picture of a skinny Finn the Thin and bro wow. trooper, like a shoe. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Letters continue to spread the to spread their rumor that Bill and Ted and Thunderpants director Peter Hewitt will be directing a Judge Dredd movie starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Wow. While, right. uh, yeah, it didn't happen. While another asks if Thrill Power is safe for a 14-day year old – or sorry, for a 14-day-old child. And I'm freaking out because that means that kid's almost 30 now. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. Yeah. Think about time. The Avenger. Uh, Prague, the Prague Edge of the price sheet for 2000 AD related comics for, for, for from Forbidden Planet. Oh, back whoa. Progs go as far back as Prague 32, which costs three point, which costs three and a half pounds. They also can sell you the book Action, the story of a violent comic by Martin Barker, which is a really great book and an essential part of my research for our uh, Space Spinner reaction coverage. Yeah. It's Highly recommended, though long out of print, sadly. Reaction, very, very good podcast. All of you should listen. Exciting times, man. We talked about sharks. Oh God, sharks! There was a uh, there was a death. There was a giant game where you played pinball on roller skates. Was pretty good. <laughs> a blind a blind boxer who had a recording career as well. He went on the run. He was on the run from the FBI doing concerts with a hit record. It was, a, it was a whole thing. Feel also, like two, were, two World War II guys that were in love. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, exciting. Yeah. Oh, and hey, speaking – oh, sorry. Go ahead, Fox. Oh, I just said good stuff. Yeah, excellent. And hey, speaking of uh, the love that blooms on the battlefield, Fox. Oh, God. Let's not get too solid snake about this. <laughs> Thrill for Rogue Trooper. He's infiltrating a base, Fox. Stealth That's... is involved, you know? I mean, but he's got a gooey friend. But I mean, a, I feel like there's, there's not a lot of distance between hiding under a cardboard box and using a mug, as we'll see here. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, script robot Michael Fleischer, art robot Ron Smith, letting robot Alita Fell. On a pretty cool-looking planet base, the chairman of Nova Corp is not worried about reports that an alien dreadnought's headed his way. He's confident that their meteor swarm defenses will stop it, and they can focus on hostily terraforming heavily populated planets and then selling devices to let people breathe on those newly terraformed planets. Just, uh, you know, a very expensive thing to do like if you kill a bunch of planets and the people on them who are you selling the breathing shit to i feel like this is not well thought out 
I think their terraforming stuff happens just fast enough that people realize there's a problem and then buy the gills or whatever. It's my is what 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 I would guess. Yeah, I guess so. But alternate also listen, yeah, these megacorps, they don't, you know, they don't think long terms a lot of times. It's the no. problem of valuing getting um immediate money for your investors versus long-term profitability, Fox, you know, whatever, capitalism. Exactly. And and hypercapitalism's even worse. Oh no. <laughs> On the Dreadnought, it seems Friday and this Manta alien can see this discussion, but yeah. then it phases out and they learn the entire area oscillates between dimensions for protection. I, I don't know. All right. But, basic, but the basic point is they got to shut down a generator before they can do their mission. That That's the long and the short of it. It doesn't matter whether it's dimensions or an energy shield or a big wall or whatever Yeah, else. just crash into it because that seems to work every time. Yeah. First, there's a meteor swarm. The rocks got homing devices and GI and aliens scramble to shoot them down and take evasive action. The ship gets knocked around Star, Star Trek style and the alien gets knocked out. It's got Fra- guns pointing in every direction. I feel like it's got this thing covered. I guess not. A, you know, I mean, no matter how good you are, eventually you're going to lose Missile Command, Fox. It's just too fast. It's fair. Friday goes to land the Dreadnought and come down, comes down hard on the asteroid base that's hiding the generator. The alien refuses to come with Friday for some reason. He'll have to go it alone. Still bleeding from his various head holes, he heads out. Not expecting much trouble until he notices a bunch of soldiers looking down on him hungrily from a crag in the asteroid. Okay. So Friday's shooting the hell out of these soldiers, but there's so many, it's only a matter of time before they overrun him. With no choice, he pulls a gun from his cargo pants and triggers it, seemingly blowing himself up. Yeah, and they really fall for that, I guess. I think he fragged himself, but instead, he actually blew himself down, Fox, into the man-made tunnels inside the asteroids. Yeah, tunneling, <laughs> it's his specialty. That's, I mean, that's, that's across all rogue troopers. Mm-hmm. He makes his way through, triggering nerve gas that he's immune to, but he's less immune to a sudden swarm of security bots with crazy knife hands. Yeah, no, they're just Edward Scissor bots. It's the worst. The chairman from before learns of Friday's progress and orders a all-high-level scientific and managerial personnel to the interdimensional security sector. Okay. They'll be fine as long as the generator holds, Fox. Don't worry. <laughs> Friday's being overwhelmed this generator by... generator room is so accessible. Yeah, good thing. Yeah, listen, he's blue. Well, I mean, you know, he's like, you'd think the nerve gas would work. It's a special situation. Friday's overwhelmed by these bots. They're clearly tracking him by heat, I guess. And some quick thinking allows him to use his self-heating mug to distract the bots okay. and let him escape. This feels like a joke. Like, at this point, Fleischer knows that he's had Friday just pull out the perfect item so many times in the course of these stories that he's just doing a real silly one, basically. Yeah, That's I what mean, it seems sure. like to he, me. He even mentions it's like it's one of Clavel Corp's less than inspired technology creations. But yeah. it's still the best thing for the job, I guess. Still works, you know, and it doesn't stop him from pulling out a random item later in the story as well, is what I'm trying to say. It's a big you backpack, know? I suppose. You know, Ooh. yeah, it's got it's it's plot specific. I guess he stole it from Felix the Cat or whatever. Oh, boom. <laughs> Live it up. 
<laughs> At last, Friday arrives the generator. He attaches a molecular melding bomb to it and sets the timer to 50 seconds when suddenly the door's tunk shut and Friday is trapped in the room. A security dude with a big scar on his face and skull spandex suit reports Man. to the chairman that the intruder is trapped, blissfully unaware of the ticking time bomb. You know that you're the bad guys when you have the skull on your clothes. Especially when it's not even like just some incidental pins or something. Yeah. But like your uniform has nothing but a big skull on the chest, you know? Yeah. I mean, sometimes they've even got them on shoulder. No, they're all just on the chests. That makes I mean, you yeah. the bad guys. You're, you're just you're, bad henchmen. It means you're not even, uh, not just a bad guy, but like a trash mob level bad guy. Yeah, like, exactly. Oh my God. They just, I'm just a red shirt. This is terrible. I don't even have like any rank. It is ridiculous. Yeah, it's skull rank. I've got I've got that Star Trek uniform that like is the hand me down one that everyone wears. Oh no, yeah, <laughs> you, know, exactly. you guys got specific ta- tailoring. Oh no, jeez. Anyway, Friday's trapped in this generator room as the bomb ticks down. There's only one thing to do, and that's use his weapons to superheat the locked door of the room, which calls over those Edward Scissorbots oh. from before. They cut their way <laughs> through the guards. And the door holding Friday, allowing him to escape just the bomb goes off, I guess. I like that, like, the skull on their shirt could easily just be like, oh, don't kill those guys. They didn't even program the robots to give a shit. Yeah, you could, you could hide a geotag in there that marks them as friendly or something like that, Fox. Nah, man. That's just, I, once again, killing your own dudes, expendable people. That's right. Listen, as someone who's been newly geotagged yourself, you got to understand this stuff. Oh, uh, God. Yeah. I probably cut, probably <laughs> I cut feel my the 5G <laughs> coursing through my veins. I might cut out this anti-vax rhetoric, Fox. I got to be yeah. careful. Oh. <laughs> Um, the bomb goes off and that takes down the dimensional shield and everybody starts freaking out. The chairman gets on the phone to seismic control as Friday fights his way to the dreadnought. He's almost home and ready to destroy Nova Corp when suddenly the ground begins to shake and a massive earthquake God. sends him falling into a fissure. Because they turn on the fucking seismic controls? There's that? Yep, I guess so. I guess, like, maybe... I guess if you control an entire... Mini planet, I guess. Yeah, you can make I, seismic I, things happen. I'm imagining a situation like you've got this base; it's embedded inside an asteroid, and maybe sometimes you got to you you need to like just remove that asteroid coating, basically. So you've got seismic stuff that could just let it shed the rocks really quickly, maybe. Yeah, no doubt for servicing, I guess. But that's me trying to make sense of something that doesn't make a ton of sense. No, they just wanted him to fall down a hole so he could use a mirror gun. Well, my favorite thing right here is that at the start of this final section of the story, Friday's narration says that Clavel Corp thought about every situation when they designed the GIs, except for this one. Nobody in that corporate brainstorming session said, what if fallen fissure? (laughs) No, No one said, what do we do if there's an earthquake? Uh, and then he just he does a little laser repelling. Well, cord. the thing is, is that his buddies who he met oh, in the yeah. Sahara Ice yeah. Belt story last time did think about that and gave him a portable tractor beam grappling hook kind of situation. You know, that's how you know that Friday is the sequel because, like in most video game sequels, he has been given a grappling. Hook. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I like grappling hook. 
I guess. I love grappling hooks, definitely. Uh, Friday manages to tractor beam his way out, reaches the ship just as the asteroid shakes apart around him. The chairman sees this and orders the Michael Fleischer special, which is a three-letter acronym weapon, in this case the PPF, the uh. Project Planet Form Rockets. Um, the PPF rocket launchers to open up all over the asteroid, and it just looks like this base is just covered in rocket tubes, basically. Yeah, I mean, I guess what else are you going to cover it in? <laughs> That's so true, Fox. <laughs> I wish I was covered in in rockets. Yeah, I'd be think of, so I'd like, I'd, have, I'd have a section for party rockets and sparklers, dangerous oh, nice. ones too. You know. Yeah, and well, I shoot ones, so many rockets. Ones that like you shoot it out, and then like the the tip of the cap pops off when it stop it stops like right at someone's face, and then like a comical hand on a on a on some like stilt connections just has these two fingers that poke people in the eyes, and then it falls down. Oh no, mo yeah. rockets! Oh, there we go. <laughs> also an acronym. Ooh, yeah, mechanized operational eye pokes. Yeah, <laughs> a mope. Mo, all right, better than a Moab, I guess. <laughs> oh, everything's better than a Moab. Mm, okay. Anyway, okay. okay. There's so many damn rockets, Fox, that they'll just destroy the dreadnought right away. So they gotta get this big bomb on it working. Friday tries to prime the bomb at the heart of the dreadnought, but. It can only be done by this Manta alien. It touches the screen with its, like, wing arm things. The bomb is set. It'll blow in 48 seconds. A lot of really short timers in this section yeah. of uh, Rogue Trooper. Like, give yourself time to get out of there. Friday tries to talk to the alien and convince it to abandon ship with him. But instead, Friday gets wrapped in a big bubble. He gets prisonered here, basically, or, or rovered, I guess. Mm. And um, then... As the alien shows him sim- shows him images of you know the star you know the war machine story where Friday's yeah. buddies handed them his war gear. He's handing them their him war a gear bubble. As they die. Yeah, he's basically saying like you know you got to go alone. I got to do I got to I, I got to do this and die or whatever. Anyway, he hears a final farewell as his bubbles pooped out of the dreadnought <laughs> and the ship explodes. My notes said popped, Fox, but I'm going with the other way. Um, the ship explodes, taking Nova Corp with it. Friday is bubbled out in the middle of deep space, which doesn't seem good. The nope. end. Yeah. I mean, it would seem that way. I think I'd just be dead in a bubble. Yeah, no, now, Fox, I know you love Friday. And you want to get oh. back to him as soon as possible. Yeah, that's me. I know this has happened off mic so many times when we've been between Friday yeah, stories. Really, and you really said, when's me. Friday coming back? You're really outing me on this one, aren't you? <laughs> but I'll have you know that we won't see him for about a year. We'll be back in oh, early fall Christ. 1993. Oh, that's so far away. That's great. Yeah. It'll be different. It'll be a whole different life. It'll be a whole different uh, prog then, Fox. Oh, really? Big Dave, all kind. Nah, I mean, you know, incremental changes as always. Big Dave. Mmm. Yeah. Hey, listen. I hope I. I hope everybody shuddered when they heard that. that. Is is Big Dave big? He's a large fellow. Absolutely big personality. Big dude. Big political um, (laughs) feelings. Okay, well, but I've I've said too much, Fox. I better button my lips and instead talk about Thrill Five Button Man. Man, you can't go making Button Man jokes. I can't make those. I brought him back around. I brought it back around, Fox. I earned it. 
All right? I did it the right way, I'll have you know. God damn it. <laughs> Script robot, John Wagner, art robot, Arthur Ranson, letting robot, Steve Potter, Harry Axton Fox is a button man, modern day gladiator employed by the rich to kill for their abusement. He wants to quit this life, but is given one last job here at the Monkey House, a spooky <laughs> simian themed mansion that serves as a storage for film and theater properties, I guess. But it's mostly just a real, real, real ghost house. Yeah. Covered in monkeys. This guy had was a you know just aped the hell out of it. Absolutely, yeah. It's got all these monkey gargoyles and grotesques and things, statues and whatever, statuary things like that. Really big teeth. Oh yeah, no, it's it's really leaning into it's yeah, it's like um, it's like have you ever seen a picture of like Stephen King's house, the uh, the horror author? I have not. It's real. Like he basically just kind of got an arch- got some architects and was like, I want to make this house as like ghost Creepy house as possible. As- okay. I mean, yeah, oh if God. anyone's going to do it, it's that coked up lunatic. Like, I want a fence that's got like bats built into it and stuff, you know, like, make, make this happen. Uh, I guess this guy he was like, it. like, I am terrified of monkeys. I would like my house to frighten me as much as possible. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't want a monkey house. My daughter has simian phobia, and I want to give her a heart attack oh from my fear God. to get the insurance money or something. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Harry arrives in the afternoon as it snows and walks the grounds. After dark, four men arrive, Harry, including friends, Harry's friend Carl and three others, all button men. Harry sneaks up on a smoking Carl. Watcher, Harry, which I think is a cool print thing to say. Yeah, and, it's like, hey, uh, how's it going? Yeah. It's what uh, it's what Roja says too, mm-hmm. and Carl takes Harry to meet the others. There's Irish Jerry, just plain George, who has an eye patch, and the preacher who Harry's met before somewhere. Yep, cut off a finger, they, I suppose. Yeah, they check to make sure he has just one gun with eight bullets, and he does. And the preacher offers Harry two choices of games: either they go take a wound and you're eliminated, or four against one, and Harry's the one. And it seems Harry's voice is upset about him wanting to quit unless he's willing to keep playing, which is what that would signal by the uh, take a wound one. They'll basically just kill him. This is a lynch mob, essentially. Yeah. Or a murder gang. Murder gang. Yeah. Murder gang. Uh, They're standing around a space heater and the grate on that space heater morphs into the stripes of the scorpion or lionfish in the doctor's office in the present. Yeah, yeah, where Harry reflects that beautiful things can often be dangerous. He then has a coughing fit, and the doctor offers to call him an ambulance, but Harry pulls the phone wires out of the wall instead. It's a very cool classic thing that we can't yeah. do anymore. Like, you'd have to smash someone's cell phone or something. <laughs> uh, the doctor offers Harry a drink, and we see him dropping some powder into one of the glasses, which Ooh. dissolves... And the dissolving powder fades into snowfall at the monkey yeah. house. I'm trying to describe this symbolism, Fox. It's real awesome on it's the page. It's real good. It's really, really good. I, button Man's so good. Yeah. Harry tries to convince the others about the bad situation they're all in. But they don't want to hear that, man. They're happy doing this stuff. And in the end, they basically say, like, all right, we're going to walk outside and give you five minutes here in the house. And then we're coming for you. As the preacher hands my pamphlet, words of comfort for those about to die. Nah, nah. 
So the other Buttmen leave the house and give Harry time to prepare. They pull a variety of rifles from their cars. Like some, I think the preacher has a shotgun. The other, the other three have various like machine guns or submachine guns. Yep. Their orders are to take Harry out and over Carl's objections, they all spread out to do so. In the present, the shrink offers Harry a snifter of brandy and has one himself, but Harry demands to drink from the doctor's glass instead after seeing him drink from it. Mm-hmm. And then the doctor like knocks over the glass that was meant for Harry, which would seem to sit to indicate that it was poisoned. You know how this Ooh. goes. The shrink wipes up. Yeah, it's sort of a Princess Bride kind of situation. The shrink wipes up the spilled liquor as Harry continues his story. The button men opening up on the monkey house in a hail of gunfire. Harry fires back using three of his eight shots, and the, all the button men are counting the number of shots that he fires. Yeah, and just doing like an LOL, you don't have that many more bullets. Uh. Yeah. He hears uh, Jerry breaking in from the back and dodges the preacher's shotgun blast, spending two more bullets firing back. Four men to kill, three bullets to do it, Fox. Ooh. Things get tense as we see everyone moving around the mansion silently, flashing between men, monkey statues, and the barrels of guns in the darkness. I love the, this like entire page has just no words on it. It's just these these st- these still shots of tense guys moving around. It's really good. They, the preacher tries to lighten the moon. A- Fear not, my son. Death comes for us all. Or it comes to all of us, and I am death. And Harry responds by shooting him twice in the chest. <laughs> I love how good this looks for like it looks like a night fight, like all of it, you know. Absolutely, there's so much that like there's so so much of the background, and I wonder if this actually really came through on the original pages because 2018's paper is notoriously so bad that we just have this really fine detail. So many of the backgrounds are like grays on blacks or dark blue, yeah. dark blues and purples on 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 black, and just giving you this sense of this really dark house and really contrasting it with the snowy night outside as the snow kind of reflects the the, the, the star and moonlight. Uh, Jerry comes around shooting the machine gun in Harry's direction. Harry moves to the house silently when suddenly just plain George pops out of a window, his M16 unleashing a burst of fire that hits Jesus. Harry several times. Harry fires back, though, a single shot right into Jerry's eye patch exploding Whoa, out the back of his head. He's very dead now. Oh, yeah, he falls down the side of the house dead, but there's two button men left, left, and Harry is heavily injured and out of bullets. Oh, no. Irish Jerry draws down on the ammo-less Harry Exton. He asks for a break, but Jerry can't do that. And then so Harry says he's sorry about that. And even though he should be out of bullets, he fires a shot and kills oh, Jerry. damn. Back in the present, the doctor asks if Jerry had counted the shots wrong, but Harry says he took percussions. A few extra rounds hidden in the old caboose, if you take my oh meaning. Oh, my God. Gotta be careful. Oh, yeah, really careful. I mean, and also, when do you have time to squeeze those out? I guess, it's just like, I wouldn't want a bullet in my butt, I guess. Well, they, gave, really him, what I'm they gave him five minutes before the fight. So it was some trigger discipline, probably, to not shoot the uh, shoot the extra bullets in in his magazine or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you know, maybe you have like a rubber, you know, whatever. I don't uh, listen. <laughs> I've now contemplated how you would be able to quickly release bullets from your behind, and I just don't want to talk about it too much, Fox. That's, That's ways fine. To match. That's fine with me. 
Jesus Christ. The doctor wants to hear the rest of the story, and he looks a little strange like his face does, like the shape yeah. of his head. As Harry recalls, it was now down to him and Carl. Harry stumbles out the, mo- the uh, monkey house and stands over the body of George. He's coughing up blood as it seems a bullet has, had, got, has, has hit him in the lung. Carl shows up behind Harry says he's not going to shoot him. No, and Harry my stumbles. Friend, bro. Yeah. And Carl catches him. But as he does, the preacher stirs inside the house. Harry swears he'll kill his voice as Carl holds him up. When suddenly the preacher arrives, racking and then firing his shotgun. Carl stands between Harry and the and the buckshot, though, and takes the blast in his chest. No. Harry comes up with Carl's rifle and puts a few holes in the preacher, killing him as well. Carl dies in Harry's arm, in Ooh. Harry's arms, but not before whispering the name of his own voice into Harry's Ooh. ear. As we see the faces of the other dead button men and a grinning monkey gargoyle here in the monkey house. Harry describes going to Carl's voice as in the present his vision begins to warp and twist. Yeah, real the weird. Doctor, yeah, the doctor says it's from blood loss and Harry describes taking a butcher knife and using it to cut fingers off the voice till he gets the right name. And then he slams the butcher knife onto the coffee table, the doctor's office, as he says it took three to make sure that he got the name of his own voice. The doctor's name. <gasps> and then things get real psychedelic as Harry falls to the floor and says the doctor's done something. Yes, Harry, I've done you. Ooh. <laughs> Disoriented, Harry drops his gun. The doc picks it up. He says he dosed both glasses fully Princess Bride style, Fox. Yeah, it's Iocane powder. In this case, a psychedelic drug that he's built up a resistance to. Oh, this doc is a freak. I like that. (laughs) This dude knows how to party. He's like, listen, I'm up to like a couple tabs of acid every time I drop, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Come on. Been microdosing for years, son. For years. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's trying to make himself a philosopher's stone, him and Terrence (laughs) McKenna. A transcended reality, my boy. That's why I'm into this blood sport. (laughs) The doctor starts to monologue how he's only a small player, but Harry was real good. He's made him several million pounds. Harry promises to expose the game to the public, but the doctor calls him naive. Of course, the very top of our society knows about this stuff. They're probably into even weirder things, obviously. Oh, God. (laughs) The game will continue, but not with Harry as part of it, because you're dead. Uh, He shoots Harry's gun, and and Hexton goes down. And then the doctor moves in to finish the job and double tap. But the pistol just clicks. It's out of bullets. Oh, yeah, buddy. Harry, still alive, says he had one bullet left in the monkey house and never bothered to reload. He had something better in mind with the doctor. And despite the fact that his vision has seemed to, like, warp to the point where it's like a a full, like, swirl almost. He pulls the doctor to the ground and grabs that butcher knife from the table. The doctor pleads, but Harry holds the knife high, and there is only blood after. Man, I love how they they cut the panels in this. It raises the knife, and then in between each of the next panels, they get thinner and thinner, and it's like a, a cut mark almost, like cutting yeah. apart the page. As we as the the panels start to fill with like the spatter of blood and stuff yeah. like that. 
I also think it's really interesting um, what parts are and aren't like warped. Like I really like that we see the pleading doctor and his face is all messed up, but when Harry holds that knife up, it's perfectly sh- it's perfectly like sharp and realistic. Yeah, exactly. Later on a London street, the bloody body of Harry Exton falls to the feet of some passerby's. They go to call an ambulance as it seems others run to a nearby doctor's surgery, the office of psychiatrist L. A. Spalding. You'll remember, of course, we talked about how, like, the vo- like Harry's voice was called Lawrence during that one fight on the open. Mm-hmm. I think you put this together pretty early, Fox, but I like that we're, there, we're sort of crossing, recrossing these I's and – or recrossing these T's and dotting these I's later in the story. Absolutely. The Good Samaritans push into the doctor's unlocked door, walk through his dark office, and finally find a light switch. The light flips on to reveal the office covered in blood and the doctor's shocked head floating in the aquarium next to his lionfish as an ambulance rushes to the scene. The end of Button Man! Oh, man. So, God, I love this comic. I severed his head with a butcher knife, man. And then put it in that dang fish tank. Love it. Can't be good for the fish, all that blood. Yeah, well, at the very least, now it's now it's got a taste for human blood and will be a man-eater, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I part, love this. Make him something, something, something. Da, da. <laughs> I love this story, Fox. It really feels ju- just like the straight-up, like, really high-quality storyboards for a movie, basically. Yes, like, you could yes. film something and just base it exactly on what this comic is and it would be amazing i think i like just you know i mean at this point just make it a one like a a show right like netflix pick it up i mean i will say that that it has been optioned and there's a director attached to it uh brian uh, helgeland i want to say really but I think it's one, it's definitely one of these projects, like like several 2000 AD related projects, um, like uh, Duncan Jones's Rogue Trooper movie as well that I believe sure. um, was optioned, but then you know wasn't development going into t- into 2020, and so COVID really delayed any work on it. So now it's just sort of in, in pre production hell, basically. Okay, that sucks. Yeah, I think a road, it's a bummer. A road trooper show or a movie might be interesting. I mean, yeah, I mean, I would again that, my constant refrain that I would like it to be good for sure. Yeah, same. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Fox Button Man will like. I don't want to spoil you too much, but Button Man will return oh, in awesome. uh, fall of nineteen in fall of nineteen ninety four. It'll actually be <laughs> returning in the same prog that the ABC Warriors return in. Oh, that's great. Time. Uh, that's really that just makes that a uh, whole better issue. Yeah, that's going to be in like the early 900s, Fox. We're getting like you know we're we're on our way. We're we're about to hit the uh, the back the, the 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 final fifth of the progs that I've read. You know, it's kind of an interesting wow. time. And speaking of the end of all things, Fox. Oh God, yeah, let's get there. Not that not that Prog 1000 will be the end of this podcast, but just I'm you know I'm trying to trying to do these transitions. You know, what I'm talking about Thrill Six Zenith. Script robot Grant Morrison, art robot Steve Yola, Gina Hart, lettering robot Annie Park. How said it is back? Yeah, with Dr. Michael Payne. That's right. Yeah, we last saw Zenith in black and white in spring of 1990. Now we're in full color with the prologue of Phase 4, with an excerpt from Seizing the Fire by Michael Payne, who you'll recall, of course, as the scientist that made these super beings in previous phases. I think we've read a like maybe a previous book of his in one of these mm-hmm. uh prologue stories as well. This book is unpublished and seems more like a journal, I guess, 
as we see Payne talking about sleeping despite the howling and terrible nightmares. As he rises in the dark, um, how he rises in the darkness, dresses, rereads his journals, and reflects on how he loosed the tigers with a Y, like the Blake poem, mm. of course, upon the world and laid the foundation stones of New Jerusalem as he walks onto empty London streets with a massive black sun overhead. Not a good thing. Feels like some Lalagor. Feels like some mm. Golgonguza. Yeah, yeah. The story's called Golgan, uh, Golganuza, which is a mystic city built out of the bodies of humans in another Whoa. poem by William Blake. And, like, it seems very complex to my to my Conrad Eyes Fox. I, I read the Wikipedia pages. I read a little bit of the excerpts of it. It's very, very deep, crazy, uh, uh, creepy stuff. Okay. <laughs> Payne's gre- greeted by Ruby, I guess Ruby Fox, in the form of a featureless female mannequin. There's an interesting point where um, she greets him and he doesn't want to turn around and look at her because previously she's taken shapes that made him sick for a week and stuff. Yeah, Jesus. She says his work is part of the past, like the book he's writing and stuff. And that past will soon be forgotten. She says he's getting younger, doesn't need to cling to such human things as she takes the cane he walks with and just dissolves it with her powers. He says this actually really freaks him out as he continues to walk London, seeing a giant cube that these Loigors have built overnight towering over the city. There's other humans, but they seem to just literally be like their heads are hands, yeah. like a pair of hands that, that that are clasped. And then they open up and clap when one of the Loigors walk by. And it looks very, very creepy. There's these yeah, I'm not into it. Bodies that have like open clapping hands coming out of their necks. Oh, man. Yeah, very, uh, very SCP foundation. Definitely. Although this, I mean, honestly, this also feels very Grant Morrison to me. He's an, he's a writer I really associate with um, creature like beings that have weird heads. Basically, oh, like okay. I don't know. Like I feel like there's several times where I've been reading comics where Grant Morrison's taken over writing for it, and suddenly weird headed beings have showed up. <laughs> I think that happened in Swamp Thing. <laughs> I guess it happened when uh, when Mark Miller took over from Grant Morrison on Doom Patrol, but still, like it's a, it's a thing that happens. Okay. Um. Anyway, sorry. I don't know. Com- no, comics no, that's things. Um, he sees giant monstrous shapes overhead. It looks like maybe two. Like they aren't like ants, but they are just like kind of ant squiggly ant beings. I guess you would say. Yeah, they're unknowable shapes. Yes, exactly. And he reflects that Aloygor talking to him is like him talking to an ant. Or first he says talking to a child, but then corrects himself to like talking to an ant. Yeah, jeez. His walking always takes him home no matter where he goes to a place, to a, to a house that is constantly changing. And so, that's constantly changing as he grows younger by the day, as he reflects that his one true wish for a world uncontaminated by man, where his children are free to make what they wish, has now come true as he stands, the last man in a dreadful city of endless night watching a black sunset. God, it's harrowing. <laughs> oh, it's real good. Next time on Zenith Fox, starting over. I'm very excited. I'm glad Zen is back. And the full color, it's beautiful. 
Definitely. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm sort of, of, of two minds about it. Like I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, I, I'm, I'm always a sucker for black and white stuff, Fox. And yep. so I feel like it changes it. It changes the story a little bit to be in color and stuff. Sure. But I also feel like it, it adds something, especially to this section of the story. Again, like we talked about with Button Man, they, it, um, Yoel and Hart do a really good job of making these this setting very dark, very and much agree. like moody feeling and scary and stuff that I think is really great. And I love that black sun. We've seen it before, mm-hmm. but it's a really cool image. I think just the idea of again, I love that it's so massive. Yeah, like, it's I like I I can't even like it's 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 not like the moon. It's like um. I don't know, like a blimp or something, or like that's not even right. Too, it's just so huge overhead, you know. It's like so, a black hole, man. Exactly. Yeah, it's real awesome. Oh man, I'm excited for Zenith Fox, but Me I'm also too. excited as we reach the end of our show to know what your top and bottom thrills are. Oh. And I should say, of course, that since um, we're in the judgment zone with Judge Dredd right now, um, we aren't counting it towards top and bottom uh, choices. I mean, that just makes this whole thing a lot easier for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, just because we're recording them on different, at, yeah, at no, different times and stuff like that, so it's harder to compare them with uh, as part of, you know, it's just part of a different conversation, that's all. Of course. So, man, let me tell you, my bottom is going to Cola Commando. Get out of here. I'm done with Cola Commando. Mm. not into Mm. it uh it's you know i'm sure this is maybe interesting if i it's just it's not it's not fun and it it's it feels like it's just like meandering all the time like this guy was bad now he's not and all it took was a moon and uh you know it's it then it's not even funny really i guess right like Mm -hmm. um it really takes itself po-faced serious but like is it commenting on corporate America? Because if it is, this is like this is like a club to that whole argument. But whatever. Anyway, yeah. not not really digging it. Um, we'll say. I mean, you know, the art's cool. It's fine. Sure. Um, but man, why am I even talking about that when I could be talking about Dangle Button Man? My top mm. Button Man's so good, and I'm so sad that it's gone. But I'm also so happy about like where things turned out. Cut that man's head off, Conrad. What is that, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, it was stellar. And again, like the artwork, the writing, the when the writing's not there, the symbolism, right? Like everything that we've been talking about through this whole thing. It is mm-hmm. such a grade A. It's like an S rank uh uh thrill in my mind. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to get there, right? Like in my in my mind, it's the it's been a little while since I've seen something where it's just like my jaw drops and it's that good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's there is nothing about it that I would want to change in any way or anything that's like, meh, you know, it's not like, oh, God, here's deadlocked going off on a fucking thing again, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, not that ABC Warriors is bad. It's quite quite enjoyable. But, you know, this is like, this is one for the ages. This is this is going in a little special case uh, next to <laughs> next to very special prog or special thrills. Excuse me. Yeah. And uh, with me heaping all that praise onto this, Conrad, um, I want to say, tell me about your top and bottom thrills, but I'm more interested in how solid we are, because I feel like we're in solidarity. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah. OK, let, let, let's get it out of the way. Yeah, no, I, I agree on on all counts. Um, Cola Commandos, let me just say something that I feel like should speak volumes. 
which is that I'm reading through this week's, you know, this episode stories. Yeah. And we ended a lot of stuff this episode, right? We ended ABC Warriors. We ended Button Man. We ended Rogue Trooper. And I was so bummed yeah. when I got to, when I saw the Cold Commandos was going to go for another episode. I was like, ah. Like, what is the uh, point? Just to end here with the rest of them. I just, like, this is just, like, I don't know. It's just, it's aggressively not doing it for me. I feel like we're trying to make these jokes and I'm not really feeling it. Yeah. And just all these other things, you know. Like I'm just I'm just getting by by making my adrenochrome jokes. Yeah, stuff that's like that. I think that's about all we can do to make it I mean and I, some la- moon I stuff, laughed at I don't that, know. but that's literally because adrenochrome LOL, right? Like it's very much it's trying so hard to create this world with all these little mysteries and things to find out and like i don't know like all these concepts of things right the the zombie the um the temporary like the uh, the cloned workers that become zombies just get ditched out in the wastelands these robot mat commercial mascots yeah a guy made of moon metal um a that that a uh, taxi cab that went obsolete and smashed into a junk heap, right? All of these things, they definitely feel like there's something that if like I'm Steve Parkhouse and I'm like brainstorming different elements to have in my story, but I feel like there's just too many added in, and so yeah, it makes it makes them either way it makes them overly mysterious in a way that's not necessary. Or just so many things are happening at once that any one like joke or reference or something doesn't have room to breathe on its own. You know, well, they're it's just, like they're conveyor belts for the plot. You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah, yeah this thing had to crash because we got to get rid of this taxi cab and put him somewhere else. It's like on a cooking show when they talk about there being too many flavors in a dish, you know? Yeah. Like, yep. 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 Um, so, yeah. So, anyway, Cole, and I'm just not into it. You know, I'm not into this nerd character. I don't find him funny or charming or anything no. like that. So, whatever. Um, ABC Warriors I thought was fun. Like, I really like this culmination mm-hmm. of it. Um, I feel like we've been working towards Hammerstein telling Deadlock to piss off for a, lo- for a while now. And I'm happy we finally got to it. Um, you know, we've talked a lot just about characters that pat mills like that likes that we're less charmed by so i feel like there's yeah. no reason to get to get further into that yeah exactly um, rogue trooper inoffensive fox he was just sort of diehard you know he was uh he was lock outing his way yep. through this thing you know a little bit of a uh, sacrifice and stuff i i i appreciate it i like ron smith's art um mm-hmm. he's really interesting in color i think so yeah fine uh, Zenith starting out really oh, yeah. liked it, but Wonderful. again, just you know, one chapter. There's other things like it would be. It's really great, but in the end, there's also le- the climax of Button Man, and man, that is so good. It's you know, so good. This big gunfight, the 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 final twist, and then um and 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 then the finale and stuff like that. Oh man, I love it so much. Like you said, Fox. Actually, this story really feels like a great um a great partnership between uh Wagner and Ranson um just how you know all the stuff throughout button man honestly just yeah. how these characters are drawn the again Arthur 
um, um, Arthur Manson's realistic art style, which does make every panel feel like basically just a still from oh, a movie, so essentially. Yeah. All of these transitions and pieces of symbolism skip, you know, scattered around the story. Um, you know, all the all the animals in the backgrounds and foregrounds of previous chapters. How like that one su- section in um, seven eighty eight where there's all these transitions from the heating grate to the stripes of the fish, or from oh, yeah. the drug in the in the drink to the snow and stuff. Oh, the it's slow so warping of the face, like you barely yeah. notice it at first, and then it just goes full on like warp spasm. Exactly. Yeah, all this stuff that is a level of like craftsmanship and attention to things and just trying to have these sort of cinematic elements that you often that you, we just don't see that much in 2000 AD just you know probably just cuz you don't really think to do it mm. or whatever like you know there's deadlines and I'm sure that stuff's harder than just telling a straight a straight story and stuff yeah exactly but god this one was so perfect but yeah but it makes it makes button man a story that goes above and beyond to be really amazing and i think because it's so good i i feel like it also really silences any criticism someone might have about it being like a, a pretty contemporary non science fiction story in this in the pages of this comic you know yeah exactly like, like cuz i think literally that's the only criticism that you could make about Button Man is that well maybe one possibly a silly name two um, you know it is just sort like there's not really any sci-fi elements to it you know it's just sort of uh, it's a crime story but yeah. bah, God, it's I'm glad really it's good, in there it's such a good crime story that I feel like it silences those objections absolutely. <laughs> Like, do you want someone else to publish this? No way. We got to have it. It's, it's, no, it's no, so no, good. No, no, no. This, this, I needed that. I needed yeah. Button Man. So, for sure, Button Man top. Solidarity. Cold Commando's bottom. We fight together once more, buddy. All right. Wonderful. And I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitch, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site, spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com the 2080 forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at spacespinner2k. For everything else, look up spacespinner2000. We should be there. This show is brought to you by Steve Green, Robert Hardingham, Zame Kipmiller, and your friends of the 2080 forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Cradaline. That's our podcast network. There you can support the show and receive a ton of excellent rewards, including advanced episodes, coverage of modern 2080 in the magazine, and even monthly Q&As with Fox and myself. Also, if you'd like to help out the show, please subscribe to us on you know whatever place you're listening to us to. Leave a rating and review, all those things. It really does help us out. Come back next or, you know, just tell a friend if they're looking for a cool podcast. Come back next time as Judge Dredd, as a, as a judge and Strontium Dog team up. Zenith is back in the charts. Robo Hunter returns to Verdus. Tharg will tell us Ooh. some dragon tales. And it's good Ooh. news, bad news, Fox, as we finish up Cola Commandos and Bradley returns. Oh, no. 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 Sorry, buddy. Until then, I'm Connor's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Oh, for